Good evening. Today is Monday, April 26th, and we are studying the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter is chapter two, which is step one and going into step two. My name is Sharice and I am going to share my experience, strength, and hope. I was like Bill, powerless, hopeless. And my life, it, it proved it. And, it, you know, my sponsor had me to read the bedevilments in the I-form. That was just like, I cried. And just no, knowing that my life was, and how it went, it was of my making. That was a tough pill to swallow because I thought it was everybody else's fault. I'm like, oh, it's all my fault. It's not yours and yours. Is so in chapter two, it talks about there is a solution. It has to be a problem. There has to be a problem for it to, for it to be a solution. Um, step one. I can't. Step two, God can. I had to get to that point. And I'm going to just share a background story. In my early 20s, I found out about OA and it, when it was suggested to me. I had attended a meeting on two different occasions, but I didn't go back. So in my early 20s, I was way over 300 pounds. I struggled with my weight and eating since about four and a half, five. That's when, um, and looking at back at pictures, I noticed I could see from where I was a little, I guess, normal size weight child to where I was looking very different from my classmates where I was the only, you know, the little chubby girl on the end that had to stand up. And, I, and that, you know, was pointed out to me by the constant teasing, the bullying. I, I was a child. I didn't know, know any difference. And um, I can remember being taken to the doctor at nine and being put on the diet. And I look back at my picture in fourth grade, I looked fine. I'm like, what? And um, my mom had took me um, to aerobics class. I can remember going to aerobics class and probably just sitting on the floor, not, not participating. And she's like, you know, you were, you were still food. She was trying her best. And it's just like, she was powerless. She said she couldn't control it. And um, food became my best friend. So my head was telling me that I don't have anybody to talk to, confide in. So my food was my best friend. That was, that became, that was my God. That was my little G-O-D, big G-O-D. Um, it's all I trusted. I didn't trust anybody. Even growing up in a religious family, my dad was a Baptist minister. I didn't know how to have that connection. I can remember, you know, going to church being in the 
you know, in the choir, being on the usher board, just participating in all these activities. But I remember it was a little corner store up the street from the church. So I got to go to the little corner store and get my goodies. That's what I remember. Just getting my food, getting my, getting my, getting my drugs. <laughs> um, so I felt alone. I felt rejected. I felt abandoned. My parents um, separated when I was five and my sister was a baby. So I really, and you know, my dad wasn't in my life. It was my mom. They were still married, but they weren't together. So it was a, like my mom was raising me as a single parent. And I'm the oldest of two. And um, going through school was very difficult for me. Like I said, with the teasing and the bullying. And I had, um, I had noticed that my neck was darkened and I thought it was dirt. And I would scrub and scrub and scrub and scrub and it wouldn't come off. And um, physically, at 12 or 13, I looked like a full-size grown woman. I had a breast reduction at 13. My mom thought that was the best thing for me because I was being teased. And, you know, with they were heavy. And the, the ladies, y'all understand, the digging of the, of the bra straps. So she did what she thought was what was best for me at that time. At 17, I was diagnosed as a type 2 diabetic. And I was told... diabetic and that didn't stop me my diabetes was out of control my eating was out of control it's just like you know go see nutrition you know do do eat this amount I couldn't stop I was told the do's and don'ts I'm a compulsive overeater that I know that I know now today and I couldn't stop I had no control over it I did the bare minimum going through school. I wasn't able to, I felt like I really couldn't concentrate because I probably was just thinking about getting, going home and being with my food because I was teased and bullied. And that was, that was my happy, going home to be by myself and eat. Even when I had a, a little sister, it was, it was still me and the food. At 19, I went away to college. I had no idea why I was going. My family was just like, what are you going to do? You graduated high school. I was like, I guess I'll go to college. I went to college. I majored in the food court. Pizza Hut was in the dorm. That's where I was. That's, I had a car. I was going to the grocery store. I was using my meal card. It was all about eating. I, I flunked out. I told my mom before um, the end of finals, I was just like, just come and get me. There was no need for me to take the finals because I had, I had flunked out. And I went back home humiliated and, you know, didn't talk about it. I still proceeded to. 
to stuff my feelings because that's what I was used to. Not expressing anything, just stuffing it all down, putting it under the carpet, under the rug, throwing it in the closet, throwing it in the attic. I was putting it anywhere and everywhere so that I wasn't, I wasn't dealing with it. Um, and I enrolled in another school. I became a career student. I became a career student because I couldn't, and I, the jobs that I found were like home health and direct care. Because at my highest, I was, I ended up being like 372. There was nothing I pretty much I could do. I could barely stand on my feet, back hurt, feet hurt. I couldn't do much. Um, and I had jobs where even with babysitting, it wasn't about the people. I was selfish. Every job I had, I had access to food. I was stealing. Group homes. Um, first job was in dietary in the kitchen. No, first job was at a fast food restaurant. Second restaurant, second job was at dietary in a nursing home. It was for a reason. I'm an addict. I had to be around my supply. <laughs> it was suggested by my primary care doctor for me to attend um, diabetes nutrition classes, to exercise, and to just lose weight. I tried all my life doing that, restricting, um, compulsively eating, compulsively exercising. I was doing all of that. Um, I was wanting human aid to help me. Like the man that, you know, that hid in the barn. I, there was a, um, a nursing home in my state for the super morbidly obese. I tried, I wanted to contact them. Cause I'm like, okay, I need this help. I can't, I can't lose this weight on my own. I can't stop eating. I can't lose this weight on my own. I was so depressed. I, I wanted to die. I want, I was pissed off that I was waking up every morning. I'm like, why, 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 why am I still here in this hell? 2009, I had my son. And I call him my miracle child because as a type two diabetic, I was taking, sticking the insulin in my stomach, self-medicating. I'm like, not even thinking about my un unborn baby. It was, it was all about me. And he had to be, um, they had to take him at um, 31 weeks, five days. So he was, he was, he was born a little preemie. But thank God, you know, he was, he was fine. He wasn't on any, you know, hooked up to any machines or anything. But I wasn't taking care of myself. I definitely wasn't taking care of my baby. Um, so the last time I worked, I, I was in school again. I told you I became a career student. I, I was in school again. Just, you know, getting student loans. because I, I couldn't survive. Barely um, went on cash assistance, food stamps, food stamps. That was, I was just like, Ooh, I could buy all the food I want now. That was perfect. And um, 
it happened so, so to be that I worked enough credits that should I need to qualify for disability at an early age, I did. And that's what happened. I was um, diagnosed with MS in 2012. But in like 2008, I had a scare where I had to end up being on my, you know, borrowing my grandmother's walker and everything. And, you know, after a month, it went back to normal. Doctors didn't do any type of test. They did an MRI, but, um, you know, it never would say, you know, it was a stroke or it was MS or anything. Um, so MS pretty much knocked me off my feet. I was bedridden at almost 400 pounds. I would fall on the ground. I couldn't get up. Family had to physically lift me. I couldn't swallow. My mom had to puree food for me, had to teach my sister how to give me insulin. It was bad. And, um, you know, once I went to the hospital and got my, you know, official diagnosis, I was happy. I thought I was dying. I told my sister, I'm like, I need you to take my baby. I don't know what's going on. But when I got my diagnosis, I was elated. Um, forgot all about what had happened, how I couldn't swallow, how I couldn't lay down how I couldn't even lay in the bed. I would slide out, I would slide on the floor. How I couldn't get up and walk to the bathroom. I was weak, I had to go on myself. Forgot about all those things. But once I got back home, I was able to eat and drink normally. That's what I was doing, back in, in full addiction. And um, 2014, no, 2013, I was just like, you know, okay, and almost 400 pounds gastric bypass would, would be my answer. So I opted for um, weight loss surgery. And I knew that wasn't going to solve anything. It was going to help me physically to lose the weight. But all the weight is up here. All the weight was up here. And so it, as a compulsive overeater, you know, um, and had, having the surgery, and we're supposed to go through the four phases to work your way back up to regular food. Not this one. I tried. I would be sick. And I say, oh, I just a couple more days, I'm going to try again. And that's what I was doing. And when I came into OA in 2015, because I had, um, you know, went to, I was, like I told you, I was depressed and everything. And the counselor had mentioned it to me. So I was just like, okay. But I wasn't using OA as OAS outline, how it's supposed to be used with following the big book, having a higher power, admitting my powerlessness, finding a solution. I use it as weight loss group support because I was losing weight and I had to show the world that I finally arrived. I was insane as they come. I had the Fitbit. I was compulsively exercising and compulsively eating. Mind you, I have a mess. Sorry. Fast forward to just last year. It's just like 
in the midst of a pandemic, my higher power seemed fit for me to finally become abstinent, work the OA program as it's outlined, and to have recovery, that's a miracle. That is a miracle. I am a little over eight months um, recovered today, and that is a miracle. I didn't think it was possible at all. I'm just like, because I had a PhD in compulsive eating, stealing food, hiding food, would eat it and go to the store and replace it, would you know buy some fast food for my son, and I would it couldn't stay in the car. I had to eat it and go to another, couldn't go back to the same restaurant. Drive all these way out to go to another one and get more. I don't have to do that today. I don't have to do that today. Food can be here, I thank God. I'm like, I'm in program. My family isn't. It's not my food. It's not mine. I could be home all day long. Before, it was that constant. Such and such is in the kitchen. You got to eat it. 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 I would eat it. If it wasn't nailed down, I would probably try to un, you know, get it unnailed. If it wasn't glued down, I was trying to unglue it. Food couldn't stay. It wasn't. It didn't matter. Mine's yours. I was going to eat it because I, I had to. It's just like. I was on autopilot. I couldn't stop. True powerlessness, but not today. This program. Sharice, you have two minutes. This program gave me hope. I have hope. I have higher power. And I just want to you know, to show, tell my story and show others that it says in a big, big book that we can recover. And it's true. I went through the steps. Trusting the steps, full of fear, but every step of the way, I just like, I'm going to stop, I want to stop, I want to stop, but I just kept, kept, they say, keep coming back, I just kept, keep coming back, keep coming back, and I'm here, and it's, it's a miracle, it's a miracle, and I'm grateful, thanks guys. Okay, and I forgot I was also the leader. Um, we will now open a meeting for questions for three-minute shares, as this is a big book study. Sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter and steps being studied this week. We ask that you accept the guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you like to share, if you would like to share or ask a question. Please raise your virtual hand, which is under the reactions, or star nine on your phone, and a Zoom host will call the raise, raise hands in order. And will the timekeepers please set a timer for three minutes for each share and announce when time is up. Jackie B, your hand was raised. Did you want to share or ask a question? Okay, well, I will. This is Amy B. Very grateful, recovered compulsive eater from New York. 
Um, thank you everyone doing service here tonight. And thank you so much, Sharice, for your incredibly honest share on, I, I mean, really step one, powerlessness, right? Um, you know, I, I, I was, you know, I had the book in my lap while you were talking and um, the, I, the thing that kept, I, a couple things jumped out at me the, the on page 21 and there's a solution. It says um, seldom mildly intoxicated. We're seldom mildly intoxicated, the real compulsive overeater, right? So like, and this is another thing that I heard in your story too, and is I, that I identified with so much, seldom mildly anything right? Seldom mildly anything. Addicts, extremists. And then like right on the next page, and I just heard this in your story, which is why it's so amazing how like we identify in. It's all of these things are like the philosophy of the person who having a headache beats themselves on, a he on the head with a hammer so they can't feel the ache, like all the ways that we saw it. Um, but basically what I, what I wanted to ask you is, so you said that this was in your history growing up and it was with me too. And I also look back on pictures from my childhood. I'm like, I don't really feel like I looked, I mean, not to say that it didn't happen later. It did. But like at the time when my family started, so now that I'm recovered, when I see my family, sometimes, I mean, I've had a change, but they haven't. So how has your relationships or have they like how do you lean on the steps and all of that stuff and in, in your growth with your family if you could speak to that and thank you again for your service tonight oh definitely can speak on that um i just pray and say the serenity prayer a lot <laughs> because i'm a i'm a single mom so i was dealing i was hoping tonight that i would be able to actually do this so I'm in my son's bedroom and it was, it was a lot. So it's just like, okay, God, please help me. But it's just like, I'm spiritually sick and So it's just like, I can't take things to heart. And I'm just like, we're human. I'm like, if I took everything to heart, I'd be on the phone all day long doing 10 steps. I'm like, I'm like, there's some things it's just like, you know, okay, it's life. I'm having to learn, deal with life on life terms. I'm having to deal with people. People are people who are they who are who they are who they are. I am who I am. I'm growing, I'm learning. I'm like, I had to come to this program at 42 to know that I wasn't God. So it's just like one, one day at a time. And yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sharice. Um, I see. Let's see, I see Wendy S and then Christine M. Wendy, go ahead. Hi, I'm Wendy S from New York. Um, thank you so much, Sharice, for this share. This It was amazing, I could relate to so much. My, uh, my mom took me to my pediatrician at 10 who told me to 
I was at the high percentile and I had to go on a diet and, um, and, and the, you reminded me of the pictures, <laughs> the pictures in grade school and standing on the end or in the back. I was always like the, one of the tallest and biggest people in class. Um, yeah, memories kind of somewhat painful and, and also somewhat funny. Um, but what I uh, wanted to ask you because um, you kept talking about how you couldn't stop. You just couldn't stop eating. You were so powerless, which I, can relate to. Um, and my question is mostly for those of us that aren't recovered, well, for those that aren't recovered, <laughs> um, how did you, I mean, with you, how did you stop? <laughs> like, how did you stop to actually get through the steps? Um, and starting with my, you know, first I had to ask, humble myself, like, okay, Ask for help from, um, you know, so I got a big book sponsor. And it's just like met in, Zoom, in a Zoom room. Don't know the person from, you know, nobody off the street, total stranger. But it's just like I trusted the process. And um, I had to, because she first was just like, you know, you have to have three days of abstinence. How can I make a meal plan? I'm a compulsive overeater. A family-sized meal is a meal for one for me. So how was I supposed to make a meal plan? So I was piecing together, um, you know, a meal plan from the Dignity of Choice and, and trying to piece together the meal plan I got from the dietitian at the bariatric clinic, trying to make... It wasn't abstinent, but it was still... I'm eating this for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So I was committing that, saying I'm committing this to my high power and sending it to my sponsor every morning. And I still do. I'm eating this. I don't trust myself to have snacks. So I'm just like, I was just like, okay, so I'm just having breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Nothing in between. That's my abstinence. And I um, reached out to a nutritionist. So that's my meal plan is my prescription because the doctor already told me what my problem was. So I have, you know, that's my prescription. That's what I, that's what I follow. And that's, that's what's helping me. That's what's helping me. And, you know, have entire absence. Like it says, I had to identify what my alcoholic foods and ingredients were. Surrender them. It's not my food. It's not worth it. Today I can remember where I was. And those brief moments where, you know, a thought want to come and creep. No, I can recognize that. You're ti I'm tired. I'm bored. I'm angry. Or I can recognize, you know, my feelings. And sometimes, you know, I may not understand. I'm like, I don't know what I'm feeling. I'll just start crying. But I just know that food, me picking up and me eating is not the answer today. Thank you, Sharice. We have Christine M. followed by Susan P. Christine, you're up. Hi, Sharice. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for sharing all these intimate details that I can so relate to, um, especially when you talked about um, getting diagnosed with MS, the type 2 diabetes the insulin with the baby. I am disabled right now, hopefully temporarily. So 
um, I'm in program eight months and thankful for this beautiful meeting and I am abstinent. Uh, I've been in and out and I had to find, um, again, when we talk about the mere, uh, you know, this chapter of Bill's story and, um, you know, I had, I had to kind of admit this defeat and just kind of come to my higher power, but you're very inspirational. I just wanted to tell you that um, the one question that I do have is how, um, how did you adjust in the beginning after you finished and you were ready to sponsor? Um, how did you um, take on sponsors in the beginning? I mean, sponsees in the beginning, and did you find? I find that very nerve wracking right now, and I know that that's the uh, one tool that will keep us abstinent and keeps us in this chapter because that that mental blank spot is there, and I know that continuing to share with others. So that's basically the question: is how did you um, transition with your sponsees and I, I just I, I I'm trying not to feel overwhelmed and ask my higher power for help on that but I'd like to get your thoughts thank you sure um well my when I finished uh, I think step nine and my sponsor said um you know now you can you know move I'm moved on to to the 10th step and like I said, every step of the way, I had um, I had fear. So when she told me that I can now sponsor, I'm like, I got to do a 10 step on you now for saying that I got a sponsor. I was, I was scared. I was scared. And I'm just like, you know, she kept, you know, put, put your name out there. I'm just like, okay. I'm like, I could put my name out there and say that I'm a big book sponsor, but I'm like, I can't make somebody, you know, it's just like a job. I can't make somebody hire me. So it was just like, I had, you know, a couple people to, you know, that reached out to me and, you know, their higher power had something else for them. Somebody told me that, you know, oh, I need an easier, softer way. You know, that's, that's not for me to decide. And I, I took it hard. I was so excited. I was like, yay. And, you know, my sponsor told me that, you know, you got to remain, got to remain calm. You know, you can't be excited. It's like it says, in, you know, in chapter, chapter seven, it's just like, you know, we're, we're just to be a guide and, you know, to let them to do all the talking. So I can't say that um, I have a sponsee now. I have one because I feel like that's, that's all I can do. Having a chronic illness and a child. So right now, you know, I have, you know, one sponsee, and, but still, I would still do service. I was still doing service. So it's just like, even though I didn't have any sponsees, I was still sharing my, still sharing my experience, strength, and hope, being available for outreach, just doing service, period. And it's just like, I knew, I know that's important. So that's what I do. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sharice, and thank you for the question. Um, we have Susan and then Mary Lou. Susan? Hey, y'all. I'm Susan, a compulsive operator in North Carolina. Um, 
Sharice, that was fantastic. So powerful. Um, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, your story is amazing. And I relate to so much of it. I, especially with childhood and I'm a disabled single mom also. Um, what I wanted to specifically ask you about is I'm on step four and I too was bullied relentlessly growing up. And um, I'm seeing the patterns of so much of my compulsive behavior as wanting so badly to belong, to be a part of that social instinct run amok. And I'm wondering for you, um, what was it like with your fourth step with the being bullied, if I may ask? Thanks. Thanks, Susan. Um, actually, I didn't have, I didn't have them on my fourth step. It was so many, I'm just like, you know, it would have been in the whole elementary school, the whole high school, you know, it's just, mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't have them. So it's just like ones that were, because they said, you know, the ones that are, you know, on your mind, not going back 50 years, I'm not even 50 years old, but, you know, not necessarily going back that far, but um, yeah, the bullies weren't, but it's still, I'm still having to deal with that because it's just like, those things that they were saying, you know, I can't be mad at them. They were, you know, spiritually sick. Mm -hmm. Not, you know, not liking something in themselves and projecting that out on me. I just happened to be the target because I was a chubby little girl. Mm -hmm. So it's just, yeah, I didn't have them on my four step, but I had, I had everything else on my four step and, and my four step. <laughs> And my fourth step, yeah, I just like, oh, so I was eating over all this stuff that I did because I was projecting all this stuff on other people. What an eye opener. <laughs> Thank you, Sharice. Um, it's 848. I'm going to stop the recording.